This episode is brought to you by Media Kicks, the leading influencer marketing agency. Media Kicks connects the world's top brands with engaged audiences through social media influencers. Their campaigns drive brand awareness, audience engagement, and product sales for top brands like Nordstrom, Blue Apron, David Yurman, Hallmark, and more. Visit MediaKicks.com to get started with your influencer campaign today. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today I'm joined by Paola Merinone, founder and CEO, and Bengu Atemer, co-founder and director of BuzzMy Videos. Paola hails from Italy and spent four years at Google in strategy and business development roles all over the world, from Brazil and Argentina to the UK, where she ultimately was responsible for leading YouTube's business development efforts in EMEA. Bengu is originally from Turkey and spent six and a half years at Google, four of which were working for YouTube in business development and content partnerships. During her tenure, she also served as the head of audience development for the YouTube Next Lab, which she launched in London to support EMEA video creators. It's a beautiful day at BuzzMy Videos HQ in London, and I'm incredibly excited to be here with these two talented entrepreneurs. Paola and Bengu, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks, James. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Paola, how did you find your way to Google and into digital media? Well, I was fascinating. I was actually in the NGO world before in my first professional life. And then I decided I wanted to change the world even with NGOs. And then I said, tech might be another way to do it. And then I started Google. And then I discovered YouTube after it was bought by, by Google. It was like, this is the future of, of their whole entertainment. So I just joined the team. and It was very early days. And it was amazing because it was very much building something out of nothing that is going to change forever the way that people are using the content, producing the content, and distributing the content. And about what time frame was that when you really started digging into YouTube? That was 2009 when I joined uh, the YouTube team right after I was coming back from Argentina to Dublin. And we were like the whole European team. We were like five people, six people. And uh, actually, the, that team was started by Bengu. That is I interviewed Paula. Yes. Really? Uh-huh. Tell us more about that. Yeah. <laughs> How did you two meet? She made history of my videos. Exactly. So now I started with Google 2006 with another great product, uh, Gmail. And then Google acquired YouTube. I kind of put an eye on YouTube and they needed some Turkish help. And I happened to speak Turkish. So I was given the um, choice to either stay at Gmail or to move to YouTube with their first initial European team. And I took the role. And by the time there was no monetization, we just started building the team. And I interviewed Paula. So she, she was the toughest interviewer ever. Really? Uh-oh. <laughs> I, we have some sample questions? What was she asking you? Well, uh, actually, she was I the remember last that interview. day. Yeah, I remember everything. Yeah, uh, I was sure I got the job. And then I had the interview with her and I was like, okay, no job. Yeah, but, some people say I'm poker face when I'm interviewing people, but then... I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not intentional. I just don't like interview process, so... I kind of pulled that face on, but then I'm glad I hired Paula. So then with kind of, she kind of pulled me into Buzz My Videos later on. So that was great. And yes, Paula said we were just setting up the initial team and there was no monetization. I literally remember turning on partnership program for the UK, signing up the first partners in the UK. By the time, for instance, I made Charlie with my finger, the viral video partner, they already had 50 million views. Wow kind of gone. So that was really kind of like fascinating to see how these kind of really young creators 
in their bedroom, so authentic, so genuine, literally disrupting the whole entertainment industry as we know it. And that really kind of fascinated both of us. And we wanted to kind of step, take a step further. And I think Buzz Marius kind of came into existence after that. So tell us a little bit more about the original inspiration and what caused you to take the leap out and start Buzz My Videos. Originally, because we always worked with creators, when they were considered at the time just UGC, which seems like a very bad word. It's like, you know, these kiddos in the, in the bedroom. And we were working with them and they were like literally like 15 years old, 16. They didn't understand what was going on. They just had a lot of fun. And by working with them, we understood that definitely there was something big going on. And it was not UGC, like there's no premium UGC, they are the new premium and people were not just getting it. But these guys were so smart. I mean, we were talking to big corporations and they were just not getting it. And then you talk with a young kiddo UGC and you understand they are the future. I mean, And then you talk to a CEO, big CEO, and they are like just not getting it. So when that opportunity was clearly there. When I left YouTube, actually, I, I left to do a gap year around the world. But then it, it lasted just five months. I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> you got restless. Like, it's time. It's time. What did you do during that five months? Well, I built a wood oven and started baking like twice a day. It was a dream, I always had. And all of my family and relatives, they were very happy. <laughs> then I was going around meeting all my friends internationally because I never had time enough. So from one day to the other, I was like, okay, tomorrow, Barcelona. Or next weekend, uh, whatever. Like, so it was just taking time to, to meet people, to read, to do just to rest or just going around the street and saying, oh, look, at 4 p.m. there are people on the street. There is life outside the office. And so I think also it was very good to just get oxygen to my brain again and then think and say, okay, you know what? This is fun. This is great. This is big. And after a year and a half, Paola finally persuaded Bengo to join her. So what's uh, the tale there? Why did you get involved? Kind of. By the time I, th- I was already in London before I was like, I was working five years out of Dublin and in London, we've launched a YouTube studio space and we've, after YouTube's next new networks uh, acquisition, I, I joined kind of the next lab team and we've launched a YouTube playbook and I've helped internationalize the playbook. That gave me the opportunity to kind of travel across EMEA and to meet with other kind of international creators. And obviously it was kind of, there was different pace, different cultural elements in different regions. And you could see that there was loads of potential in international markets. So then kind of, it kind of naturally happened that we kind of joined forces. And I think it was time for me to take a step further beyond Google and YouTube to go on to the other side of things. We are still in touch. We are still obviously working together, but from a different angle. And yeah, especially just now, when I was at YouTube, I didn't see the Turkish launch, which kind of makes me a little bit kind of uh, sentimental about it. But I joined the Turkish kind of monetization launch with Buzz My Videos. And now we're actually leading the space in Turkey, so which is kind of a great uh, kind of angle for me to kind of experience like, from the other side. Tell us a little bit more about the business. Just to add one more thing on what Benga said, why the two of us joined forces. I think that even when we were at YouTube, we were just two sets of the same coin when we were at the same team in, in Google and YouTube because we were splitting the team like in half and we were doing two different activities. So I think that there was nobody else that was best to fit the, the role as Benga because we do look at the business in two different ways with the same vision, but the point is she's definitely the queen of audience development and content and everything that is related to, to products. And then more on the side of 
revenue generation more business with corporate it was natural i mean there was yeah, nobody right. else who would just fit perfectly i would say and what are you focused on today plenty of stuff <laughs> so definitely growing the team we did decide to bootstrap in the first three years so past my videos we wanted to create a business for the long run first of all and that's why we didn't go for any investment even if we were contacted very early on and we created already a team up to 15 people at the time then we started with investment which was like kicking in one year ago, and we went to up to 35 people team, getting the senior management and getting like enough people to actually then make a real difference for both the, the creators and the brands, and then as a corporate to start for the next three years. Plan. The thing for us was crucial to create everything that is, that we have three pillars, uh, one being technology, the second one being local, and for that we created a, a team of 18 nationalities, so 18 out of 35. Quite, That's a good ratio. Well, yeah, we are quite proud. Yeah, we are very proud. Yeah. So when they say like, are you, what was your own diversity? Definitely we, we, we rock it because we are all minorities in any kind of sense. There's no problem with averages of male or female. It's like all, all there. And also as two co-founders, like one Turkish, one Italian living abroad for 10 years. It's just different. That's it. So, and then the third thing is to, to create more services for the, for the creators internationally and on, with this global approach. Uh, which is launching everything globally, but then serving the community locally. Therefore, we, we really we really need to know the communities. We need to get the, the service in their own language and support them in the best way possible. I mean, we pay like a lot of attention because content on its own is local. So you need to know the local dynamics. If you want to serve, if you want to help content creators, you need to serve them in their local languages sometimes, or you need to handhold them with that expertise. So whenever we hit a mass critical kind of amount in any region, we back it up with, with local support or local expertise. So actually we can say that, yes, we are actually serving these creators in those, in those regions. Otherwise, obviously there are loads of great tools. And stuff that even online that they could get a hold of, but that's a different different type of touch that we want to kind of provide to up and coming talent from other regions. And today, Buzz My Videos represents over five thousand creators worldwide, with a heavy presence in Italy, Turkey, and the UK. Not surprising, given where we're sitting and where both of you are from. But you also have a pretty big footprint in Russia, Brazil, and several Spanish-speaking territories. So, what kind of informs your international growth strategy? Well, I would say that definitely that the countries you mentioned are strong for us. Generally speaking, it's European and Americans. Of course, we didn't start in the US, so we started from Europe. But we are looking at, again, that the, our approach is local. So we need to get the local community first, and then we go community by community. So that said, for us, is we look at not territories, but languages, uh, which is crucial for us because we can serve multiple territories at once. And it's important for us as well to work with them internationally in a way that we internationalize the content. Because there's plenty of opportunities. Like there's a very nice story of a guy who's a Russian guy living in Germany and that we support. And he's becoming super famous in, in Japan, which is... You never expect that. Yeah, yeah exactly. It seems totally random. The reality is that there's for a lot of content, there's no there's no barrier to it. So you have to leverage that as much as you can. So we're looking at that type of content too, and so that we can have them going not just very big in local local communities, but international ones. Exactly. The business is very unique in that, as you mentioned, you started with the, no outside capital for three years. 
built a really strong and sustainable business from a global perspective. What is the hardest part of starting and running your own company? I think for me, hiring is the most difficult part of running the business because hiring is essentially you're making a bet on a person to kind of take your product or, or whatever you want to build and trust that person that is going to take it to another level that, that is beyond your expertise or expectation. That could go really well if it's the right person. So you need to play a lot and, and you're never sure if it's the right person. But then I think that's the most challenging part for me personally, hiring part and also trying to do business and also trying to kind of uh, do many other things at the same time because you need to wear the head of anything and everything when you're starting up a business. And I've learned a lot on the corporate side. <laughs> so, More than you'd probably ever want to know about exactly. taxes and legal. Exactly. and yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is fun. Mm-hmm. What about you, Paula? I never thought about starting a business, first of all. Never, ever. But then when I started, I was like looking backwards and I was like, okay, what did I do in my own life? And I had this different professional lives but what I understood that every single experience I had I was starting up something so it was not a company but then it was a team it was a project international project it was always something that I loved was like starting from scratch and build and so I really even I wasn't realizing that while doing it but by looking backwards that that was it so starting it wasn't that tough I think what is tough is killing as fast as possible Starting, well, wasn't that hard. It was just fun when at the very beginning, like moving from a very strong brand behind the back, <laughs> which helps. Then you see the people that are looking at you like, okay, you're crazy. And I'm like, okay, I'm probably crazy. But then the same people like two or three, two, two or three years later, they see you on a newspaper and then, I, I, I know you. <laughs> I know you could make it. And I was like, yes. Sure. That's why you told me I was crazy. Well, luckily you found some other people who were crazy enough to join you. Yeah, of course. Of course. There's plenty of crazy people around. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I don't think it's it's very hard. If you really believe that something is going to work, you might crash it completely. You need to be aware of that anytime, any day. But then when it goes well, it goes well. A lot of people say the best businesses are the ones that you never thought you'd start, but the idea just nags at you so much and you try and kill it and you try and kill it, but it keeps coming back that you have no choice but to start the company, right? Yeah, that sounds like the story. <laughs> <laughs> sounds familiar. Yeah, it's been our experience as well. Benke, what about you? Have you thought of yourself as an entrepreneur or stepping out in this type of venture? To How's be that honest feel? with you, no. <laughs> I haven't. Uh, though I, I come from a family, like my parents, has been very, they've been entrepreneurial. But I've never seen myself. I don't think person because I'm a very anxious person and I don't think entrepreneurship goes hand in hand with being anxious. So you need to be really calm and kind of grounded and you need to, but then I think it just or, edits up or a get lot. a very calm co-founder. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you can exactly. have the healthy paranoia exactly. that keeps exactly. you on your toes. That's but good. now, personally, yeah, personally, it actually kind of changed me a little bit. I'm still anxious, but I'm grounded with my co-founder because she's calm. <laughs> you know, that's a good balance. Very good. Sounds yeah. like a great match. And what are you most excited about this year? A lot is going to change. Oh, yeah. This year is going to be an incredible year. I mean, we are very excited about the international growth and like growing the content side of the business as usual and having the creators at the core of the business and trying to kind of bring them more and more value with different diversifying our revenues and also, I think the platforms is, is big this year for anyone and everyone in this business, I think. 
Well, especially on the revenue, well, definitely on the content side. On the revenue side, that's going to be a very, very good year in terms of activities going on. Diversifying, getting more and more revenue for the creators is number one priority. What we're growing last year in 2015, we got 140% growth rate. And we're trying to kill it. Yeah, this <laughs> year. This year. Congratulations. That's Thanks. incredible success. Thank you. But what are the revenue streams? What are you looking to accelerate revenue growth for creators? So we're looking to different directions. So definitely we're growing very big the, the branded content side, but with a different point of view. So it's something we're working on to, to get to the market. And then also other revenue streams that are not so, so obvious for the same content. Uh, so repurposing the content or... Making life of creators much easier in order to get more money, but without doing anything, if possible. Um, so they're going to be happier. <laughs> they're going to do much more content because they're happier and help them to get more professional producing content. So getting to the new premium more and more. And I think from a content point of view, we would like to kind of, now that we have enough inventory, it's time to kind of verticalize in different ways. So we are looking at that one as well. Not only international expansion, but also kind of having a focused kind of uh, audience, so kind of grouping them in different ways and packaging them in different ways. Oh yeah, obviously you started with global perspective, an idea of working with creators across multiple verticals, and I think that's kind of reflected in the fact that you didn't pigeonhole yourselves with a name that you know spoke to a specific vertical. Where does the name Buzz My Videos come from? What's the story behind that? Well, I think okay, going back to your previous question, is that tough to start a company? Starting a company, no, defining the name, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredibly difficult, yes. That's very difficult. That's that's a real challenge. Now, from the beginning we always wanted to be multi-vertical, multi-country. Like we we never wanted to be one vertical only because our idea was we are gonna be here for the long run. And for the long run you can once you have multiple verticals, then you can develop multiple verticals, which is a bigger, kind of a bigger challenge, but at the same time, a bigger, much bigger opportunity in the long run. So the name was definitely, and the logo as well, no, logo and name, the two of them together. That's a tough, very tough one. So on the logo, we, of course, we wanted to have the globe because that was our DNA and the video. Uh, buzz my videos, it was like, we wanted to like, just create a lot of buzz, <laughs> a lot of buzz. And it was... Yeah, I remember it was a hard time to decide in the name. But uh, the funny part is now every, in every country there's a different usage of the name. So a lot of people call That's it true. BMB so, or Buzzy. Buzzy or <laughs> there are different communities that are calling us in different ways. At the beginning we were like, no, we are Buzz My Videos. And then we were like, oh, it's like more like we are part of the same more family. So it's like more personalized. It's, that's also, there's the local touch in each market. Yeah, Who calls yeah. you Buzzy? The Turkish one's called Buzzy. Interesting. Okay. I like it. Just run with it. And Paola, in addition to building a rapidly growing business, you also support international entrepreneurs through the Black Box Accelerator. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, we had the luck actually to participate to the to this program, the both of us with Bengo. That was two years ago, I would say. And that was together with Google for Entrepreneurs. And then I was asked to be an ambassador for them. And I, I accepted because it was a very good experience. What they do with Fadi Bishara, which is the founder of Blackbox, they do train international entrepreneurs from all over the world. And literally, like when we went there, there were people from Pakistan, from Palestine, Korea, South Korea. That was amazing. Um, it was literally super international. So what we were doing were, was learning like how to scale up fast or how to raise money, how to like 
how it works in Silicon Valley, but at the same time, uh, getting more uh, support locally in Silicon Valley if we want it ever to, to be there, but at the same time, create also a lot of network locally and internationally. So when they asked me if I wanted to be an ambassador, of course, I mean, this is like perfect DNA for me. <laughs> I am asked to, to suggest people to participate. I'm more than happy to do so because... This is, I think it's a super good program and I would recommend to go there, especially as an international entrepreneur. Sometimes, and this is the big difference, I think, from Silicon Valley to the rest of the world. In Silicon Valley or in California in general, you have an idea, you think big and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. That's it. Internationally, there are a lot of barriers and they stop you. And most of the people will tell you you're crazy or they would not fund you or they, it's hard to convince people to work with you. So I think that the mindset is totally important and the network that you build and the way that you build the network in Silicon Valley. So if, if you can kind of extend that internationally, that is super, super amazing. That's an interesting perspective. I've gotten the chance to talk to people all over the world and through this podcast. I've spoken with a lot of people in the Stockholm tech scene, which is a pretty large startup community as well. And they say that there's certainly barriers, right, and disadvantages to being, say, a company that's created in Sweden. One of those is linguistic, but luckily most Swedes know how to speak very good English. But they also say it's a bit of an advantage because they're forced to think globally. No one wants to build just a business for Sweden or even for the Nordics that they're, of course, from the outset, thinking on a global scale. And that's given us SoundCloud and Spotify. And of course, they're very well known for music and gaming innovations, but it's that's a different perspective. And I'd love to learn a little bit more, I guess, digging into that. How do you change the dialogue and encourage international entrepreneurs to, to build their dream? Well, I think, first of all, it, it comes a lot with education you get, uh, I would say, and the, the type of experience. Because for example, in my case, I mean, I was forced from the university, well, I was definitely fascinated by international life, and but the university was forcing me to learn two languages, go abroad for this and that, and, so on. and then I decided to work abroad for a long while anyway. And I think that that helps a lot. As an entrepreneur, you really need to think as the market is global first. I mean, if you're in technology, there is no way you think technology is local business. Don't even start. As, I mean, it's nice business, but somebody's going to eat your life. At a certain point. So it's I think that by knowing other communities of entrepreneurs globally, then that helps a lot. But I mean if you're an entrepreneur in another industry, fine. I mean just think globally could be a super big big company. But tech like in tech, honestly, <laughs> there's no there's no border. Just it would be a waste of resources thinking about no, I totally agree. And also to your kind of point of be having advantages and disadvantages, I think it's like a smaller market, so you can actually make it bigger, you know, that there is a bigger opportunity to get noticed or recognized if you have a good product or if you can think out of the box, you know, you can actually create an amazing product and get a lot of support because there are not many people out there trying to do the same thing. Though it's changing, I think, in London, there's the, the mar London, I think, the UK is the kind of like out of Europe is the biggest and followed by Germany, maybe Berlin. In Berlin. Yeah, yeah, in Berlin, there's a big scene as well. But I think it's a, there's a big opportunity and maybe it's kind of more saturated or more common like things are more commoditized maybe in, in the in the states but then here because it's kind of the past or it's future there and it's part is just following up so i think there's a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurs uh, internationally out of europe well it's very global right a lot of talent is attracted here and then it's easy to get access to other markets exactly so. i think that's like being so global i think it's very tough to get us so global in reality because even new york which is super global 
I don't think you can get as many nationalists as you can hear in some in some industries. So um, there are very few cities in the world that you can really say that's so global. So I'm not saying London is the only one, but there are very few. So, yeah, I think yeah, it's a very interesting scene. And if you have a good pitch or if you have a good product, if you knock on the right doors, I think you could get noticed kind of more quickly maybe than that's an advantage. I don't know the play in Silicon Valley, but I'm assuming that it might be more difficult, you know, to get noticed in that it's a crowded space, right? Another question I love to ask, because I think it always leads to good answers, especially advice for entrepreneurs, is what has been your greatest failure and what did you learn from it? <laughs> 20. I love I, I always ask the question in interviews. And, and I always think, what did I say? <laughs> well, you could probably answer what did Paula say back, you know, a few years ago. Such a long list. And people are really, they really don't want to share. I'm like, look, I can tell you a long list, no problem, if you want. I don't know where to start from. <laughs> Anything that jumps out in the history of the business, pivotal decisions or just things you've learned? I think I was stubborn. I didn't give up on investing time and effort in a specific project that we were running and I should have cut it off sooner. Once you see that it's because you're racing with time and time is your most important kind of asset. And there was this specific project. I think I spent more time on it trying to make it work, then actually, you know what, you should have cut it off before and focused on something else and kind of change it. So I would say I shouldn't have compromised on time. You know, I should have acted quickly. That's one of the hardest gut calls of being an entrepreneur, right, is you have to be crazy enough to use our language from earlier to stick with it, an idea when other people tell you not to. But at some point, you need to know when to cut your losses and move on to the next idea as well. You need to give up at some point. And if you're stubborn and not giving up, then you're losing out on a bigger opportunity maybe somewhere else. Paola? That's that's true. I think that one of the easy mistakes when you start a business is you sometimes you focus on some details and you just need to do trade-off with big decisions and no procrastination whatsoever. It's like you, you might be wrong, just go for it, decide something. And um, you just go. Sometimes I, I don't know for what reason, but sometimes it was procrastination for, I don't know, for just <laughs> workload or whatever reason it was. Or it might be nice to have, but it's like, no, next level is not enough. Either you go for it or you don't and just move on. That's definitely something not to do. And there's no time, as you said. There's, there's no, time. no time. Just take the chance. You might be wrong. That's it. And also they should get their senior team hired ASAP. <laughs> you know, it kind of, otherwise you end up kind of doing a lot of different stuff and you can't, you need to be able to have room to kind of move forward. And without a senior team, you can't. So you need to have the right people, kind of your commanders, like in place at the very beginning so you can actually move on fast. And then one, one rule that is, became very important is like, there's no space for comfort zone. If you get one making conference on that, you can play with the whole agenda you have, there's nothing wrong. So just make sure that you get out of it because there's no time for it. How do you continually push your limits and make sure you're expanding the boundaries of that comfort zone? I have plenty of people reminding me that. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, it's it's very much, uh, it's not just you with yourself, which is truly important, but it's also just listening to people. And then you just get to know what's, what to forget and what to do. What's coming next? If you had to offer a few predictions about the future of the online video space, what do you see? So I shared this article on LinkedIn about virtual reality. And I think it's the most hyped thing right now. Like, okay, VR, augmented reality. And I'm a kind of good supporter. I am a believer in that. As long as all those devices are more immersive into our kind of 
physical body because I don't see myself wearing those big kind of gadgets. So I just want to, I'm curious to see where that is going to go through in the next couple of years. And if people are going to be actually pull it off and make it more and more immersive in different ways, in, in education, in learning, in, I don't know, in, it's a bit scary as well. I'm scared as well, you know, where it may actually go because I don't want us as people becoming really asexual, kind of social and kind of sitting down and, but it's quite exciting as well. So let's see where it kind of ends up. Paula, anything to add? She's the queen of... Yeah? I'm the queen of prediction. Virtual reality. Okay, no, perfect. I'm the queen yeah. of prediction. Uh-huh. I do predictions. She's the girl. <laughs> anything like live streaming or other types of formats that you're keeping an eye on? Live stream- I mean, live yeah. streaming is definitely big. Uh, I mean, we've seen this, like, obviously Twitch has done good. Now there are other places like YouNow and other kind of platforms coming into the into the play. YouTube always has tried kind of playing the live streaming game, but I'm not sure how successful it went or I'm, they are right now apparently working on a 360 kind of camera version of it. I'm, I think it's going to be a good kind of addition as well. I think it's definitely big and I see all those periscopes, meerkats taking over. So yeah, it's definitely going to be there. And I think people are going to want to share more and more, more immediately. And obviously those platforms are going to be there one or the other. It depends on the content vertical as well. So obviously gaming is a good one for that. Lifestyle is another good one for that. Fan interaction is definitely for musicians and stuff working for that. So it's definitely a medium for fans. I don't see one platform taking over another. I think there are going to be maybe different live streaming platforms for different content verticals or different uh, functionalities, you know. Let's see. I mean, it's, it's definitely important as well, yeah. Tremendous. Have you read any books recently that you just couldn't put down? Any good book recommendations? I'd love to read more. <laughs> I was just trying to start yesterday. It's more on the personal development. I'm sure you've, you must have seen this. Uh, it's called The Growth Mindset. So it's kind of like an approach. So there are two types of people where you see people are when they're challenged, they just take it as a growth opportunity. And then the other ones are kind of scared. It come, kind of goes back to your education and how you're kind of trained. And if you're scared of exams, so it's Howard Psychologist. If I, I, I can't remember the name, unfortunately. But there are some TED Talks around it as well. So it's a good book, potentially personal development one. I don't normally read those kinds of books, but uh, this Oh, is I love those types of books. Really. Oh, yeah. It's easy to read as well, yeah. no? So I highly recommend it. If you were starting a business in the online video or digital media space today, what would you do? Definitely, I wouldn't do an MC now. I, I see that a lot of people are doing it, but there's Fine. no point now. It's gone. So MCN as a word is dead. I mean, when did that door shut? So it changed like one year ago. That there was no MCN. At least one or one year and a half ago, it was already dead as a term. It's totally different business for everyone. And everyone is trying to get a different, different view of that and a different perspective and business is going to be huge for everyone no matter what i don't think it's a very small pool of sharks that are going to kill each other to just get a percentage of market share i don't think that's the play we're going to do here i I think it's it's a whole blue ocean there everybody is going to be different in a way for many different reasons who's going to be more production who's going to be distribution who's going to be tech who's analytics who's whatever we're building a whole industry here so there's no point in thinking about at least from my point of view so if you think now to start an MCN, which is an industry that if you look at it from my point of view, is dead, then there's something wrong. So definitely, if I were to start a business now, that would be more 
something with analytics, definitely that's truly important. Uh, something, anything that could be scalable anyway, uh, it should reach anywhere at any time. Anything that is so just local doesn't work. I mean, it's nice, but that's not the business. We've seen that in many countries where we are working in. In many times, we also do partnership with, uh, with some local MCNs, which anyway, MCN or MPN, which again, I, I'm really not a big fan of the of the words. I think from the production side as well, and in terms of tools, there's not much there. If somebody can use technology to produce in a way, that would be bigger because production costs are too high, generally speaking, for online at least. If you can figure out how to solve that problem, then what is the old premium? Well, that's going to be very interesting. Or you become a real competitor to the old premium. I would actually do something around education, like or learning. I am a big fan of this video platform, Udemy. Not that their founders are Turkish. <laughs> no, it's a very great platform. And I think they are, they had a massive growth. I mean, if I had, I want suggestion for them. If, if I was to do, uh, maybe they could combine it with live streaming because there, it's kind of video on demand or it's kind of presentations on demand. But if you had like kind of instructors, you know that they're going to come at a certain hour and then they would just live stream. Uh, and if they're valid instructors, you would just like sit down and watch. I mean, it could be a nice way of kind of, so that's my tip to them. <laughs> so not humble. <laughs> no, I think it would be interesting to combine like live streaming and power of kind of like to actually have people different kind of ways of being educated or learning. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Do you have any other advice for entrepreneurs or potentially people who are working in a tech company or a large kind of media company today that are interested in starting their own venture? Perseverance. <laughs> Talk to people, listen to people all the time. Just listen. You probably don't have the solution to all no, You definitely don't have the solution to all problems. You probably have 5% solution. Listen to people. They're going to give their needs. They are going to give you the solution. You just need to put the pieces together. Just listen, listen, listen. And act fast. I've read a lot of articles and everyone is saying the same thing that it's kind of like a roller coaster of emotions and it's up and down. One day you feel like you're great, the next day you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? So it's just, I think you need to keep things stable and when it comes to perseverance, you shouldn't give up on anything and it's just, no matter what happens, just they say enjoy the ride, so they should enjoy the ride. And have a life. And it's so important, yeah, exactly, because... Have a balance somehow. Yeah, have a balance somehow, yeah, exactly. But I, I don't think it's possible because, I mean, it is possible in a sense that because you're so dedicated to it, you can't literally shut down and completely kind of go off the grid. And if you cannot do that, it's, it's perfect. But I realistically don't believe that it's happening. If anyone can manage that. I might. Heads off. <laughs> well, really. I might. You might. might but she's the calm one, so she's, she's, got, coach, she's exactly. got that master. And I would be like, okay, <laughs> on my phone. When you write your self-help book about personal development and how exactly. to master being calm, we will both read it. I will subscribe. <laughs> exactly. You can start a Udemy channel and we will Live watch you. Live stream no. that. Okay. Exactly. Fine but where can people find out more about the two of you and more about Buzz My Videos? Come over to headquarters. <laughs> there we go. Come on down. I'll try some live streaming later. I'm just like testing some platforms. I'll let everyone know. I'm serious. But no, I mean, yeah, here in our office or maybe on, we're on LinkedIn. <laughs> Is it the website? Is it LinkedIn? The website. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
and we'll be kind of launching a new kind of uh, ways of communicating both with our creators and to the industry with uh, so we're working on a strategy on kind of enhancing our communications through different mediums uh, including video and live stream so there is going to be more coming from on our and not personally but from from buzz my videos yeah very exciting we'll all stay tuned to see what's coming next we'll let you know thank you both so much for coming on the show this has been really fun and great to learn a little bit more about your backgrounds and journey and the great story of buzz my video so thank, thank you. you for thanks. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. Mm-hmm.